0: Okay, hi everybody. Thank you so much for coming to our CCU tonight. Citizens Climate University is something that Citizens Climate Lobby puts on for all of you to learn some in-depth knowledge on topics that are really important and relevant to the work we're doing right now. So our very important topic tonight is understanding environmental justice perspectives about the Inflation Reduction Act. This is a quick housekeeping slide. I'm sure at this point all of you are super familiar with Zoom, but remember that your record, um, your your uh, video button and your sound button are in the bottom left corner, um, and then the chat button is also on your Zoom panel, so you can ask questions in the chat throughout the presentation and um, any other comments you want to put in there. Now I'll get to introducing our speakers tonight. We have, we are joined by Stephanie Munguia and Karina Ramirez. Stephanie is the student engagement manager and Karina is the diversity and inclusion director. And from here,
1: I will let them take it away. Great, thank you so much, Sabrina. And thank you to all of you for joining us tonight. As Sabrina mentioned, I am CCL student engagement manager My name is Stephanie Mungia. I am originally from Puerto Rico and currently reside on the ancestral lands of the Seminole, Tequesta, and Miccosukee in Miami, Florida, while I work on my PhD down here. And really, it's quite a privilege to be able to bring this topic to you all tonight because I've been working in the intergenerational equity space for the last. 15 years, more or less, and working more closely on environmental justice for the last five or seven. So it's a really important aspect of our work and I'm just thrilled to be a part of this. And with that, I'll let Karina introduce herself.
2: Buenas noches, everyone. Uh, I'm Karina Ramirez. I'm your Diversity and Inclusion Director. I am originally from Ecuador. I Tonight I'm connecting from the traditional lands of the Seminole, Taino, Ticuesta, and Yaga people um, in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, My pronouns are she, her, ella. Um, Like Stephanie, I'm excited to participate in this presentation tonight. Um, A lot of the diversity and inclusion work that I am engaged in deals with environmental justice. So I've been having a lot of conversations with different people and just learning, and we are just excited to be able to offer this information to all of you. So the three learning goals for tonight. We are going to review the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to understand potential responses that you may see when you encounter different communities. And we're going to give you some tips on what you can do locally.
1: So before we get started, we want to begin by setting the stage with a bit of a disclaimer of what this training is and what it isn't. The purpose of tonight's training is to build awareness of the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act. We're here to uplift the labor of environmental justice communities across the United States and the work that they've been doing first to secure the provisions that are in the legislation and secondly, to voice concerns about the things that didn't make it into the bill or that did and are likely to harm predominantly under-resourced communities. We recognize first and foremost that we are not ourselves members of these communities, but rather we're creating a space for us to learn together about these concerns. We're also hosting this training in part to acknowledge and begin to rectify the harms that were done by many climate groups in our celebrations following the passage of the bill. I want to be absolutely clear this legislation is a historic and critical investment in addressing climate change here in the United States, but we'll hear more throughout the night about how well intentioned celebration led to the erasure of many of the environmental justice communities and their concerns about the legislation. Lastly, we also want to acknowledge that these concerns have not been getting very much attention in the news. It's precisely because we know that many of our volunteers are not hearing about them that we want to offer this training. We believe this is part of our integrity value as CCLers, so if you've not refreshed your memory on these values recently, I'll just read this little snippet from our integrity core value. It says, we are prepared and do our research. Our approach is thoughtful and thorough. We consult experts and use data. We are open to new information. And in fact, we solicit opposing opinions. This includes providing a balanced assessment of any legislation we talk about in our communities. So we know that this integrity is needed to create a more livable world for all of us, and we're building that muscle tonight.
2: So if you had attended any types of training dealing with diversity and inclusion, I usually talk about community agreements. Um, These are common agreements that are normally shared across organizations where we engage in diversity and inclusion. Uh, These will be our understanding and how we will conduct ourselves during the session. Now the agreements say this. We want you to be present and stay curious. Be open to learning about different points of view. No shaming, no blaming or scolding yourself or anyone else. Listen for understanding and don't interrupt others when we get to the part of the discussion. Um, And when we get to that discussion, speak from your own experience, use I statements or from my perspective. And the concept of take space and make space if you find yourself speaking just a little bit too much compared to other people, allow other people to share their viewpoints. Um, If everybody is in agreement with these or would like to add more, please say yes in the chat or add whatever you wish should be included in that community agreement. I would like to see a whole bunch of yes, hopefully. Thank you.
1: Great, thanks everybody. All right, I'm not seeing any requests for any additions. So I will go ahead and jump into the training then. All right, so before we officially dive into our content tonight, we think it's valuable to start with the reminder of what we mean by environmental justice. Dr. Robert Bullard, who is widely regarded to be the father of the environmental justice movement, particularly here in the United States, describes environmental justice as the principle that all people and communities have a right to equal protection and equal enforcement of environmental laws and regulations. More specifically, it acknowledges that America continues to be segregated, and as a result, so is pollution and our experience of it. Race and class still matter and map closely with pollution, unequal protection, and vulnerability. If you want to learn more about environmental justice and how to engage with environmental justice groups, as a CCLer, we invite you to review the Working with Environmental Justice Communities training that is on community that was put on by our incredible Climate and Environmental Justice Action Team. So I'm pasting that link in the chat right now. So, what's in the Inflation Reduction Act? As you've probably heard by now, it represents an approximately $385 billion federal investment in addressing climate change, including a methane fee, a suite of rebates and tax incentives for consumers, funding for natural climate solutions, and importantly, somewhere between $40 and $60 billion for environmental justice. So a lot of good things in this legislation that we've been hearing a lot about for the last month or so. But let's hear from Reverend Lennox-Yearwood what this investment means specifically for frontline communities.
3: Now a closer look at the historic legislation that the Senate just passed. The Democrats reform bill is the largest investment in climate policy in U.S. history, including over $300 billion to address global warming. It also sets a goal of reducing carbon emissions by 40% by the year 2030, and it creates an electric vehicle tax credit. Joining me now to discuss what this will do and what it won't is Reverend Lennox Yearwood Jr., climate activist, as well as the president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. Let's jump right into this, Reverend. I know you're in Washington today. You're from Louisiana, though. So you're from, and you mainly deal with communities that are feeling the impact of climate change. What does this bill really mean on the ground?
4: Well, on one aspect, this bill is historic and it's a critical bill for humanity. Not a bill for Democrat or Republican, but for humanity. This bill was- But you're right, I am from Louisiana, I'm from the Gulf Coast, and there's provisions in this bill that hurt our community, that lock in infrastructure, as far as leases in regards to on water and on land, um, that is the wrong direction, and literally will put those communities, particularly those next to fossil fuel infrastructure, in harm's way, Um, continue the cycle of sacrifice zones in America.
3: You're talking about the expansion of some drilling, some offshore drilling, and also leasing of federal lands. do you think the bill I know the folks who wrote it were trying to balance things and they added a slew of tax credits to encourage clean energy. Do you think that balances out? I hear your concern, but in some total where does this bill stand?
4: Well, let me say this in regards to clean energy, it's exciting for solar and wind. It's where we have to go. I mean, this is a bill for not only future generations but for us right now. This truly was our lunch counter moment for the 21st century. We had to pass this bill. But with that being said, clearly there are those within the fossil fuel industry who don't wanna give up you know, their reign on power and they don't wanna begin to transition to clean energy. And so they made sure that these things were written into the bill. And that's I always say this to people, that's problematic because there are communities who are living next to these facilities who would now get cancer, mm-hmm. asthma, emphysema, and it will cause them to literally have a horrible life. And we cannot balance that having us pushing for polluters and not for people.
3: I know that you feel that in the communities that you're talking to, that you represent. I also wonder what other climate impacts that you're concerned about, that you think maybe these tax credits, this expansion maybe of the electric vehicle tax credit or this new tax credit, what would that mean in places maybe seeing rising shores, different temperatures, what are we talking about?
4: The things in this bill from the the Green Bank to the investments in environmental justice, even though the block grants are a little funny, we have to work on that long-term, but ultimately, this bill is ensuring that we can cut emissions down, what we must do in this decade, and ultimately, that will help our country and our world. Let's just I'm from Louisiana, and we all know, we ha- I went through with many of our families and friends, Hurricane Katrina, and then we went through Hurricane Ida again last year on the exact same day that means when you have seen your family and your friends literally drowning to death in the richest country in the world there's no bill that can help bring them back but this is a start in the right direction
3: what do you think about that electric vehicle tax credit that's something a lot of folks think is is one of the biggest parts of this bill seventy-five hundred dollars for people uh, but there are questions about exactly how many cars qualify now Uh, but most americans will be able to do that do you think people you know will start thinking about electric cars now or is that more of like a long-term cultural shift
4: well you know i guess i get to put on my hip-hop caucus hat this is the this is the kind of fun part you know we we in in our culture have been really pushing for uh moving towards ev vehicles and these tax credits will allow for folks to really begin to put their hoopties and their gas guzzlers away and so we can finally begin to move to a place where we can have electric vehicles in our community. And more importantly, we can put charging stations. That's also part of this bill. That's also a thing we wanna make sure there isn't a road or charging anxiety within our community. And so that is an important part. And also the fact that people cannot put solar on their homes and their communities, that would be a big deal to help them in cutting energy costs. And so again, those pieces are exciting This bill is historic, but again, at what cost? We cannot begin to pick who will live or die with this climate crisis. And I'm afraid this bill may be setting a precedent in which we're not looking at which communities, either from the Gulf Coast or Appalachia or in Alaska, which communities will survive and which communities will not. And that is a trend as Americans that we cannot put forward
3: so much that's important there to think about thank you so much reverend lennox yearwood
4: thank you
1: great so there is a lot to unpack in that a lot of really powerful comments so let's recap some of the concerns that were raised in that interview and also in the other statements that have been released surrounding the inflation reduction act i think a really powerful part of rev yearwood's testimony there is that On the one hand, this is hugely historic. He refers to it as the lunch counter moment of our time. That is a a huge win. But at the same time, this really balanced response of who gets to decide who makes it through this crisis. So some of the specific concerns that have been raised, um, in particular, this first concern around expansion of oil and gas leasing Expanding sacrifice zones, that's really the one that's getting a lot of attention. That's because the bill has linked renewable energy development to further oil and gas exploration. So many EJ advocates are saying that that essentially creates more sacrifice zones. As a result, polluting facilities will continue to harm human health. In particular that of frontline communities because that's where most of those polluting facilities have been located historically and are likely to continue to be developed unless there's specific guardrails put in place similarly and i do want to flag that ccl has historically supported carbon capture and sequestration technologies and the ipcc reports do indicate that some form of carbon capture will be needed to reach our climate targets but Environmental justice groups are concerned that these technologies might be misused or abused to extend the life of harmful facilities. There are also some missed opportunities that they point to. For example, rather than investing in key infrastructure priorities like public transit, the legislation prioritized things like EV tax credits and rebates for home upgrades, which are incredibly valuable but disproportionately benefit middle and higher income households while ignoring the needs of lower income users of public transit for example and renters much of the climate funding also excludes community-based financial institutions and credit unions from being able to administer it so that leaves certain communities that really rely on these sorts of depository institutions behind another large underlying concern is that the bill says very little about how implementation should be achieved in fact a lot of insiders believe that agencies are going to be looking to rapidly expand their collaborations and partnerships with nonprofit organizations and other community groups to support the implementation because there's very little in-house capacity currently to achieve the mandates that the bill has laid out so that is could be a really great opportunity but it is something that for obvious reasons can provoke a bit of anxiety because we're not quite sure what this implementation will look like So these are a couple of the more explicitly stated concerns that we see in a lot of the reactions, but I think it's critically important to note that there are deeper concerns than just what's made it in or not into the legislation. There's also concerns that speak to a generalized disillusionment with the democratic process itself and as CCLers who believe in democracy, this is a really critical piece we have to understand. So we're going to hear from Tara Busco, who's an Ojibwe indigenous lawyer and land defender. And she's speaking to the underlying concerns of the exclusion from the decision-making process, the side deals that were made to reach compromise, and some opportunities for future intervention. We're just gonna to listen to a small snippet of this, but you're welcome to use that link when you have access to the slides to listen to the full interview.
5: The Inflation Reduction Act provides over $60 billion in funding for environmental justice priorities, something Rob Weissman mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, Tara, was anyone in the environmental justice movement that you know involved in, uh, in helping to craft this provision? Uh, no, there's been uh, some pretty serious pushback re- regarding the lack of representation in the drafting of this bill specifically on the pieces that affect our communities directly. Um, you know, it, from my perspective, it doesn't really work throwing, to throw money at us if we don't have habitable places to live. So if our communities are underwater or if our air is p- poisoned and we've got pipelines and mines and all the things that are destroying our lands actively, how is some investments in block grants supposed to help us? You know, those are really serious questions that this bill is lacking. And to that one piece that was just said too about like where we're at in terms of blocking the bill, you know, there is this side deal that Manchin has mentioned and that they promised him, right? Like this is a handshake agreement about the permitting provisions, the rolling back of NEPA, the stream quote unquote streamlining of bedrock environmental processes and designation of twenty Um, to avoid these reviews that's going back to the house and they're going to try to attach it to appropriations. So there still is something that can be done at the congressional level.
1: Great. So there's two major concerns that Tara talks about here that I want to dig into. The first is that communities were excluded from that decision making process. While it is true that final negotiations, as we likely have all heard, were carried out nearly exclusively between Senator Schumer and Manchin, it would be a mistake to say that the IRA came to be in a complete vacuum. The environmental justice provisions that did make it into the bill are a credit to literally decades of advocacy by environmental justice communities, though not nearly as much as would have been included in the earlier reconciliation packages that were debated. We also know that some top large nonprofit organizations were consulted in the late stages of negotiation and environmental justice groups have expressed dissatisfaction with how those groups leverage their access and platform to help or hinder the accomplishment of some of these EJ priorities. More importantly, we know that more participatory legislation development is possible the environmental justice for all Act or hr 2021 shows a different path that actually began with the robust nationwide tour and community consultation process by members of congress to better understand the environmental injustices that the legislation would seek to address and solicit feedback there's another side to these concerns also which is surrounding these side deals and there are two major topics within this the first is the extra legal approval of the mountain valley pipeline which has long been opposed by frontline communities and the second is this promise of future permitting reform the mountain valley pipeline has faced years of legal challenges and opposition and the proposed compromise would move the jurisdictional authority into a friendlier court this means that it might be more likely to be approved and move forward permitting reform also would limit the powers of NEPA, the national Environmental the Protection Act and shorten the public comment period. But reform advocates point out that this could pave the way for faster renewable energy development. So there is a balance here that needs to be struck. Environmental justice advocates are hoping to either prevent this permitting reform from going through or to build in safeguards that could help renewables while slowing fossil fuel development. I do want to just note here that both of these still require further congressional votes. And they don't seem to be garnering much support from either party's members of Congress. And there's actually been recent coverage of uh, concerns and pushback from both conservatives and liberals in Congress around the East side deals. The biggest concern right now is that these might be hooked onto some must pass legislation in the next month or so. So this is one of those things that environmental justice groups are paying really close attention to in the weeks ahead. All in all though, people from all different backgrounds are acknowledging that this legislation is, to quote from a leader from the environmental justice action team in a great conversation we had recently, that it's so far from what we need and so far more than anything we've ever gotten before. But it's critically important that no matter which of these two framings you feel you're aligning with the most, whether this is more than we've gotten before or far away from what we actually need, both of these imply that further action is needed. Before we talk about what that action might look like for CCLers and within our context, we wanna make sure that you hear from a few more organizations about how they're reacting to the legislation.
2: So we have uh, selected a couple of views from different entities. Uh, I'm gonna read them. If I go a little fast, my apologies. But again, you will have access to the slides you'll be able to see their entire response, because a lot of these are, are long letters. But I will uh, share the perspective from different organizations. So the first one is the Green Leadership Trust, which is a cross-organizational network of Black, Indigenous, and people of color uh, that serve on boards in the U.S. and U.S. nonprofits of environmental organizations. Um, From their viewpoint, they feel the Inflation Reduction Act has the potential to provide for needed housing upgrades and jobs. It also aims to improve air quality and ensure access to clean drinking water. However, the legislation includes relative modest levels of investment in the environmental justice community that have suffered disproportionately from our nation's reliance on fossil fuels. In our analysis, the legislative package will expand sacrifice zones to compound harm to our communities. This is one sentiment that has been expressed by several organizations. I wanted to also um, share the perspective of Vivian Ji Wang, who is from the Asian Pacific Environmental Network, uh, feeling that the bill includes some worthwhile investment in renewable energy and healthcare, but it also brings even more harm to people living alongside big polluters and further destabilizes our climate. We need real climate solutions that transition us away from fossil fuels and invest in building healthy, life-sustaining economies in the communities most harmed by the fossil fuel industry. The other point of view I wanted to share, this has been most recent from the Movement from Black Lives. They were very strong um, in how they're feeling about the bill uh, and they say this black people are not transactional constituency are not a transactional constituency for the forgetful democracy and we demand a politics, that recognizes the impact of this legislation on our daily lives safety and futures unfortunately the inflation reduction act takes us away from building an equitable future as it denies the demand nice to end fossil fuels before our planet reaches the tipping point. We see the Inflation Reduction Act for what it is and demand transformative climate legislation that will actually prioritize conditions for a livable planet beyond emissions calculations and economic models. And like all of them, there has been a series of organizations that have put their statements out there. Um, And these range from some positive, positive aspects of the bill um, like ha- they have been expressed in the videos that you have seen, as well as the concerns about the oil and gas leases. Uh, the Indigenous Environmental Network called the IRA a Trojan Horse, um, that, uh, and it's a fun, it's a bill based on false solutions. Um, the Minnesota 350 says the bill purported to raise harm, and the organization makes a commitment to continue working to put for, fut- for the future we know is possible. There is a lot of perspectives here, and we have highlighted all of the statements that we hope that you read after, uh, you, you have time after this presentation. So I wanted to give you some understanding of some perspective that you are going to see out there. And I was thinking about this, I'm wondering, you're gonna go out to different events and you're gonna see different people, and what are you gonna come across? So. And I'm suspecting that you will have four ranges of these. You're gonna find people that are gonna be fully positive in their perspective about the bill, fully negative, fully neutral, and those in between. If you come across someone who is truly positive and engaging with the entire thing, fabulous. Continue engaging and find a way to work together. Um, If you come across someone who is fully negative about this bill, find an opportunity to listen to the perspective. And I continue, cannot say it enough, listen, listen. If the person offers or is open to conversation, be the ccl that you are. If not, leave it alone. People who are fully against something sometimes do not want to have a discussion about this. But you are gonna be the only one to know when that situation uh, presents itself. If you come across someone who is fully neutral, they'll probably have an opinion, Uh, but they are not leaning toward the policy, they might not know a little bit about the IRA. You know, you could come across that person. Or they know something, but they're still unsure on how they feel about the bill. And then you could come across someone who is in between. That person is still deciding, they're looking at the pros and cons of the legislation. They may want to discuss more about it, um, and they possibly could want to engage with you. If, you, if they give you permission to do so. I would caution that in any of these opportunities, it's not about convincing anyone. The legislation has already passed and has been signed, and we are recommending that you discuss the positive as well as the potential concerns of the legislation with others if you are given that opportunity. I wanted to put forward a most typical scenario. Again, let's say you're out and about hosting a tabling event and someone who may have heard about the IRA is already against that. How would you engage in conversation with this person, right? Someone could say the additional oil and gas leases allowed under the IRA are expanding sacrifice zones and it's our our communities that are being sacrificed. I want you to think for a second. And if you have a sheet of paper near you, or if you are willing and able, um, think about your response. And I'll give you a couple of seconds for this. And you might not have the response tonight, and that is perfectly okay. <laughs> All right, so let me continue on. So, in my experience as a CCLer, and I say I, my experience as a CCLer, what I have come across, Um, In our typical CCO response we want to come out and convince someone that this is something incredibly good for them and that they are wrong about the point of view or the law itself and we might want to show up with data and say in the long run and you're gonna come and insert the benefits. I will caution and suggest for us not to do this. I would like to say that You know, we want to be aware of people's life experience and that their life experience is not and cannot be wrong. But this is our opportunity for you to listen to the concern that is being shared for the purpose of understanding. We do this when we are in the offices with our elected officials, regardless of party affiliation, right, we have been in many meetings with many people. And I want us to think of our trainings and to think what we learn there. In particular, think about what you learn when you go to the motivational interviewing training. I would like you to think about that and to revisit it if you need a little refresher. So here's our response, and I would like to thank the EJ Action Team for helping us uh, come up with things that you know could be helpful, you know, things that you could say. And we thought these would be EJ-friendly responses. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm worried too. I wish that wasn't in the bill. It's deeply disheartening that community health was used as a bargaining chip. What are your demands for Biden Congress at this point? Would it be useful to you if I or my organization help amplify them? Because you want to give people an option to think where and how they want to engage Your goal during this scenario, and we have said this in other, in other meetings with other occasions, uh, you want to build trust, but you want to build trust by not, uh, by not omitting information. Your conversation with a potential EJ member should be to understand their views and how you can independently of them advocate for their concerns. You wish to grow your own understanding of this issue during this time You wish to be a friend to a person working through their feelings about something difficult, in particular, the effects of this bill on their communities. You wish to find out if there's something productive you can do to help. All right, a lot of information thrown at you. (laughs) A refresher, all right, so what can you do? And I would say be the active ccl that you are. The environmental justice implications of the IRA, though systemic in nature, will be mostly felt at the local level. My recommendation to everyone is to continue community building. And this will look different depending on where you are across the country. What convers- And I want you to think about what conversations are already taking place there if you haven't been involved locally in your community uh, what is being shared? What is happening there? Do not be afraid to attend a workshop, a session, a gathering to learn more because with knowledge comes power and with knowledge comes an opportunity to be able to be a better and effective advocate. I would recommend for you to stay up to date on the implications of the legislation in your area. and. We are still in the process of learning how this bill will be implemented. It's one of those things that would know left out. We're waiting for what that would look like. Um, Right now, I feel that this is a time for us to build connections locally, to learn again, what are the concerns of the communities around you and how you will determine your level of engagement based on the information that you are learning from the people that you're meeting and interacting with. Before we go into our question and answer period, I want to first thank you for sticking with us through this presentation. This is the first of three sessions that are gonna deal particularly with the impact of the IRA. Um, You completed today's session. The next one deals with how to present and discuss the Inflation Reduction Act next Thursday. And the Thursday after that is gonna be a session dealing with the conservative viewpoints of this bill and we look forward to having you in the next two presentations.
6: Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.